Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... It's so much more than just a profile picture. At Catholic Singles, our platform offers you many opportunities to get to know the person behind the picture. Sign up today at catholicsingles.com. Good News Ministries of GNM.org. It's the Catholic place for growing your faith. Good News Ministries will provide you with faith-building reflections, virtual retreats, prayer resources, and lots more. All of it is free. Visit gnm.org today. Welcome to Liturgy Live for the 32nd Sunday in Ordinary Time. My name is Alana Berg, and with me, as always, is Father Ian Van Heusen. How are you doing, Father? Doing well. Good to see everyone. Um, you know the guys, you guys know the drill. Alana's going to be sharing, pass around, let everybody know that we're going live and give a little opening monologue. So um, I've been actually having a lot of fun lately. I was, I was telling Alana that I found a, a nice formula for preaching that seems to be bearing a lot of fruit, which is... It's 75% traditional, 75% like hardcore tratty, as, as I said, and then just a dash of, of 25% emotional intelligence. And I've been having a lot of fun with that. So last week I, I, I preached on sinners in the hands of an angry God. And just remember, just that dash of emotional intelligence in there. And so this week we're getting into the resurrection. Now I want to talk a little bit about final judgment and, and, and last things. And you know what's interesting is I, I have a belief that meditation on the last things is a powerful means of cultivating good mental health. Uh, I think this idea is starting to catch on. I don't know if it's directly my influence or whatever, but that a lot of these traditional pieties and these traditional spirituality, you know, things like St. Alphonsus Liguori's preparation for death, it's actually a good part of good mental health. That's what I've come to believe. That's what I'm putting into practice. And that's what I'm trying to live out. And I think it can be really helpful to reflect on the final judgment, or, and also what St. Alphonsus Liguori, and I think the tradition, the rest of the tradition calls particular judgment. And that is at the end of this age that we'll be held accountable for our actions. So in that context, we're going to be talking about the resurrection, we're going to be talking about the first reading. I think one of the, the, one of the limitations of post-Vatican II, there was, a, there was a huge emphasis on trying to focus exclusively on the readings. And you kind of see this with most preaching, where a lot of times preaching will take what the gospel is about and kind of repackage it in some ways. But there is a place I also think for sermons, for those traditional sermons um, that, that were done before Vatican II. And I, I would encourage anybody just to, to, to consider that if they're a preacher or a priest is maybe not just preaching exclusively on the resurrection as we hear Jesus talking about in today's gospel, but have a bigger conversation about last things, particular judgment, final judgment, but is that making sense? Because I, I realized that one of the things I've seen, I was trained a lot in seminary. Like they had a hyper focus. They had to focus on what was called the, uh, the literal intent of the gospel, which would be the author's intent is how they generally define literal intent. But I really think to really flesh out the, the, the whole flavor of this season, sometimes you have to preach sermons that are not directly tied to the readings. Does that make sense? It does make sense. But I also think, in this season, sometimes the readings lead to deepening. You know what I mean? Yeah. You don't have to disregard them. You can, you can use them as a catalyst towards. Oh yeah. Deepening those understandings in the, in the last things, especially to th this weekend's. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're definitely we will still be going into the readings <laughs> as much as oh, we yeah, can. We you know, barring any rabbit holes <laughs> like last yeah, exactly. week. Exactly. <laughs> Doing our usual thing. Yeah. But um. But yeah, and I, I mean, I think I'll be curious to see, because there's, there's that classical, uh, the, the conversation that, and he actually made it the, it was interesting, he made it the focus of his parish missions to preach on last things. Um, yeah. yeah, the preparation for death, I think, was often. Mm -hmm. um, it's important for us to think about, like you said, it's important for us to think about, it's important for us to be confronted with, because it's not something that we will think about on our own very often. Yeah. That's why, that's why it's your job as a priest. 
Absolutely. That's that's what I've been doing lately. Right, let's get into the first reading. Let's see what we're doing. All right. From the second book of Maccabees, or the book of second Maccabees, I should say. It happened that seven brothers with their mother were arrested and tortured with whips and scourges by the king to force them to eat pork in violation of God's law. One of the brothers, speaking for the others, said, What do you expect to achieve by questioning us? We are ready to die rather than transgress the laws of our ancestors. At the point of death, he said, You accursed fiend, you are depriving us of this present life. But the king of the world will raise us up to live again forever. It is for his laws that we are dying. After him, the third suffered their, the third suffered their cruel sport. He put out his tongue at once when told to do so, and bravely held out his hands as he spoke these noble words. It was from heaven that I received these. For the sake of his laws, I disdain them. From him, I hope to receive them again. Even the king and his attendants marveled at the young man's courage because his, he regarded his sufferings as nothing. After he had died, they tortured and maltreated the fourth brother in the same way. When he was near death, he said, It is my choice to die at the hands of men with the hope God gives of being raised up by him. But for you, there will be no resurrection to life. Okay, so the book. Oh, so it cuts off before the mother. Oh, the, the best. Yes, I know. So we'll talk about the whole story <laughs> because yeah. it's just so. It's the whole chapter, basically. Yeah. It's the whole seventh chapter of the book of second book of Maccabees, where it is the king of Syria. So I looked this up to make sure who I was talking about. The Syrians were the ones who had control over Jerusalem at this point, and they had desecrated the temple they had put idols in the temple there was um but they were no, tied with the greek it was tied with the greeks the, the Ptolemies. okay oh uh, well, no uh, yeah it's uh, tied with no this is tied with the, the greeks actually you I, I okay. maccabean revolt maybe it was the regional governor or something was okay. the same? i gotta double check okay. we're actually reading the book of maccabees in the office of readings as well okay well so, the first book and the second book have slightly different timelines Mm-hmm. I thought yeah. it was all like Alexander the Great conquered the area, and then later they did. La- After mm-hmm. oh, it is okay. Mm-hmm. I'll I'll take your yeah. word. Yeah. Well, it said Syria. It was this, the Syrian king, um, and there were so they had desecrated the temple. They were killing the so some good Jews like went and hid in the hidden um, caves and were trying to worship together in in hiding um, and they were killed too. So this is right before this happens. Um, okay. And then there's the story of Eleazar, who was an old man who, who was killed for what he believed. And so then it goes into this story of the seven brothers and the mother and each brother was killed, tortured horribly and killed one by one. So not only tortured physically, but each one after the first one was tortured emotionally by having to watch their family be, you know, hurt, which is a terrible thing to have to experience. And especially for the mother to have to experience all of her seven sons who had survived birth, you know, how hard it is to get at that time period, you know, like infant mortality was really low. So to have seven boys that had survived in in, like infancy and grown up and been so strong in their faith, like this is a really, really important thing to like look at really um and how each one of them proclaimed that they believed in that god will either rescue them or not rescue them but like raise them for the dead and that they just didn't have any fear and how awesome and also terrifying it is to to really face that and what courage they did have um we'll go to the last one the last one's the best part the the last one's the best part. Hold on. Or do you know what I'm talking about? There's everything is. Every, I'll, I'll the tell, whole thing the is the best. So part. Okay. The last one, the youngest one, there they go. Mm-hmm. They say all of your brothers have been killed. Oh, that's they, right. Okay. Yeah. They turn to the mother, and they say you should convince your son to spare, to 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 spare you. You know, just so you'll at least have one son. 
and despair. And the mother then turns to him in his native language and is like, don't be a coward. Stand up and be a man like your brothers and, and face death. Like, and also, oh, he yeah. also tempted him saying, hey, you, if you don't do that, you know, if you go with what we want and don't die, I'll even reward you. You'll be my friend. That's what it says. Yeah, exactly. He's like, you, not only will you survive, you will have status. Right, so this is a temptation. It's a real temptation to to pride and greed. Um, so yeah, basically, she she talks to them in their native tongue, and and like you said, was like, "Be strong. You got this. Don't worry about it." You know. Yeah. And he and he was tortured and killed, and then she was killed. Yeah, and it comes up that that part of it comes up in Daily Mass because I remember the homily. Um, you know, the there's a lot of pounding of chests. That day we're like, oh yeah, 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 <laughs> in seminary. <laughs> yeah. So, so that's the story. What? So obviously, you can do a lot with this. Well, actually, I was just thinking about a homily point. Would be it's interesting. Um, it's almost like uh, persecution does a lot of favors to the church. You know, I mean, it's like even in the South, I, I, I've most anecdotal evidence I've seen suggests that people tend to keep be more fervent in, in the faith in the South. It's like this extreme. It's like they either completely leave the church or they become more devout because it's like everybody's faith is tested down here. Cause like all your friends are going to be like your, your idol worshiper. You need to, you need to join our church. You're not really a Christian. You know, I just, just the other day, someone was saying, yeah, my neighbor says I'm not really baptized because I was baptized in the Catholic church and, and we weren't immersed. We were, sprinkled I and mean, we don't sprinkle but you know because mm -hmm. we pour for baptism i yeah. mean we have some people who do immersion but um but it's just interesting it's um um and i would say like the more fierce the persecution probably the stronger and look at poland after world war ii and stuff right uh, and well because it's true the blood of the martyr is the seat of the church you yeah, know exactly. it's like it it really makes things grow faster and more devout and also, it really is a test because even though, like Polycarp, definitely, um, and maybe Ig um, Ignatius of Antioch, they're the ones who are like, to prove my faith, to prove that I'm a follower of God, I will be martyred. Like that was their witness to faith. It wasn't just proclaiming the gospel, it was literally their martyrdom. Yeah. Like they didn't even f consider themselves followers of Christ and, and disciples of Christ until they were martyred. So it's so like, that was a standard that they held. Yeah. And, exactly. and, and how people who live in areas where it's difficult to be Catholic, it's almost e easier in a way where you're like, okay, well, I'm going to do this hard thing instead of yeah. doing something that's accepted, but also hard. It, it, it doesn't have the, kind of the back and forth pushback of, you know, yeah. energy that, you know, you need to really persevere. Yeah. Does that exactly. make any sense? It makes perfect sense. So. It makes perfect sense. I mean, and in reverse, prosperity is just, it can, it, it's, it can be really bad, which is, it's so funny because don't we all like want prosperity? Like, I mean, we all want the easy way. It's like, but like time and time again, I guess we, what it is, we always think like, if I had it easy, I wouldn't be corrupt. Like if, like I would be different than everybody else. Right. If I was the leader, if you made me leader, everything would yeah. work out great. Yeah. Or like <laughs> if like I was, yeah, it was me leading in a prosperous, whatever. Right. Yeah. And sometimes, and what people from, ages past understood better than we did than we do in our culture is that struggle is what makes the human spirit kind of come alive not suffering it for it suffering itself but really the struggle of life to bring food out of the ground and harvest it and then you celebrate you know like it's that working really hard but also celebrating in a great way where we work really hard but there's not a lot of real celebration cultural celebrations that really happen anymore because our work is not the same type of work mm. that used to happen that, you know, like the, it was physically 
like exhaustion type of work that the main people did, not necessarily people who were, you know, up high, the, the small percentage of people who, who were well off, but the normal people of the day would work really hard and, but they would be more satisfied with their lives. They had a lot, a lot less, you know, time to really be. Well, I, I think it's, crazy. well, I don't know if I would, I would share your overly optimistic because I mean, there was, um, there was a, there is a challenge. So there are a few challenges that before the modern times, the classical notion that um, families could not give time for contemplation mm-hmm. was often because of the nature of the continuous working that would, would kind of prevent you from reflecting in a deeper way. Well, no, um, I, don't, I don't think it prevents. I think it gives, affords the opportunity to. Uh, but, but really, I mean, if you read the great saints, the church fathers, they often say that like, one of the, the, the worst parts about the married vocation is that you, you, you don't have time for contemplation because you're so busy with the things of this world. That, that, that idea, Gregory of Nyssa gets into that a lot in his work on virginity. And there's other writers, but that's the main one I know that I can say for certain, like I've read a few times. Um, and I mean, I've seen it when I was like in Mexico where they don't have like a lot of, uh, like when I was in rural Mexico, and they're kind of working 24-7. It's kind of like um, they're they're always busy, and that can kind of flatten a certain culture. I mean, that's the whole notion of um, peeper is that leisure is the basis of culture. But it's like there's almost like a sweet spot, and that's where I would point to if looking for an ideal is like the monastic ideal. So the monastic ideal is kind of like almost like a perfectly structured life where you're periodically going without, you're going like discomfortable sleep. So like you, you don't, you know, you know, you don't always get a full night's sleep. Like sometimes your sleep is interrupted or you do vigils and things like that. You do periodic fasting. You're always restricting your diet in some regard. You do about three hours of manual labor a day, not quite as heavy as like the full-time like manual labor. And then you have a few hours of study every day. Hmm. That I think is like probably a really ideal kind of life. And the, 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 the irony of it is, and this kind of going is, is there is kind of an always like a little bit of a, an edge of suffering to it continuously, like mm-hmm. giving yourself a, a, a moderate amount of discomfort. If that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. But I also think that we, there needs to be a way to translate that into normal life, into yeah. most people's life. So if we if we take our mundane tasks and we also in them think about the things of God, right? Mm-hmm. So if, if we are doing the dishes or for folding laundry or whatever in our own time period of mundane right that's those are mundane talks uh, oh, tasks yeah. um to either like listen to a podcast about things of faith or to listen to a short podcast and then really think about what that means for your life and really in- try to integrate into it and and um contemplate on those things i think though if we train ourselves to do that then that is a way to really de- use the things that we do and the time that we have in a way that serves God and brings us closer to God. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I I think more of the danger for working people is the thought, the thought trap that comfort leads to happiness. I mean, that's kind of the classic comfort leads to happiness, right? Um, Because then what people start to do is they start to make decisions like, well, I don't, I don't want more kids. I only want one kid or I only want two kids um, because I got to limit Cause I got to be as comfortable as possible. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got to, um, you know, whatever it might be. I think people, they make all kinds of assumptions. Whereas if they consistently extended themselves um, and stretched their capacity, and so, I mean, we talk about this all the time. Yeah. And also how important it is for us to talk about the trusting in, trusting in God, because a lot of that comes from, my happiness depends on what I can control. 
Mm-hmm. Right. And, and that really cuts off our ability to trust what God actually has control, of, which we really don't have a lot of control. Um, and, you know, I can control my attitudes and sometimes, you know, like I can control my will I'm working on that every day. Right. <laughs> trying to trying to adjust my will to what, you know, I hope would be the will of God in that moment. Sometimes I'm right. And sometimes I'm off. Well, I, 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 there's this, there's this, there's this actually, I think uh, a more practical way, like there's this, uh, in meme I saw, like, I think it was today where it said, it talked about like things like, well, I don't have the time for, and we consistently every day we make trade-offs between things that we enjoy that are empty pleasures and things that require a little bit of discomfort and sacrifice but which enrich us in the long run. So like the easy one is exercise, right? It's uncomfortable. I mean, I got to work on that as well, but um, I'm not as worried Me with too. the exercise piece myself. Yeah, I definitely got to work on it. But but like other things, like they, they said, well, you know, somebody will say, um, what was it? It was, it, was, it was really interesting. I have to pull it up where it said like um, $150 for a therapist is way too expensive. I don't have that money. But like magically you have $150 for like clothes and for like shoes. And it's like all these little trade-offs that you make. So like you won't spend $150 to sit down for an hour and to do some interior work with a therapist if you need that, but you'll spend it like on Starbucks and shoes or, Mm -hmm. you know, yeah. Like, and just each one of those, those trade-offs cost and worth and, and really, what do we see value in and want to spend our money on? And do we even think about it in that way, right? Yeah. We're like, oh, we can't do this because it's too much money. But over here, oh, that's not a bad deal. You know, like I'm willing yeah. to spend money on that. It's, yeah. it's an interesting thing. And actually, thing the therapy one really struck home for me because I know a lot of people who will, who they, they will not go to therapy because they can't spend that 100 bucks on uh, the one, once, you know, one session a month or two sessions a month. Cause they claim they don't have the money, but, but if you actually looked at it, you put like, if they probably like cut out, like if they like went and used their public library for like movies and, and just got movies from the public library and cut out their cable, mm-hmm. cut out their sports package or whatever. And like the funny thing is like, you can cut out your sports package. And just every time there's a game, just go to your local like sports bar. Right. Like, and you're being social on top of that. Yeah. You know? So I think it, I think it's important to, for us to like talk about stuff and, and thinking, think about all well, of that. I mean, and, I mean, that's like, I mean, I'm actually thinking of this idea of particular judgment. I think I've got the hook now for particular judgment. Like okay. is like these, these like little trade-offs that everybody makes like, and, and when you compound them thing after thing, next thing you know, you're blowing, you know, tons of money on superfluous stuff, tons of time on stuff that leads you nowhere. Like you're not investing in things that are going to enrich your life. I mean, like they got into is like you know, um, it was really interesting the trade offs, the, the things they chose. Like you could like take a class that like enriches you, or you could like go to Cancun or something. I don't care what the, hmm. the trade offs were. What, what's coming to my mind right now is if you say, "Oh, I can't read a book, this book because I don't have time," or "I can't watch this particular." video uh unformed or whatever um about something about our faith because i don't have time but how much time do you spend on youtube you know what i mean it's like do you really not have the time or are you do you just feel like it'll it'll take that much more mental energy that you don't feel like you have you know what i mean it's like is i don't i i see that even in my own life i'm like i feel like i don't have time for that but i obviously do because i spend too much time on youtube (laughs) Yeah. You know, and that's, those are things that I need to, I need to work on myself and, and really look at how I spend my time, you know, and or there's something about like good things. Like there's some quality of like good things that's related to like healthy food. Like, do we ever crave healthy food? Not really. But, like we know we feel better, like if we eat it. You know, and we're consistently doing that. Yeah, I can't really help you with that. I can't eat food. Me and oh, that's food. right. Food's a bad one for you. I'm yep. sorry. Well, I just food uh, hates you, me. It's I, not I, that I, I don't like it. it. 
That's all right. Um, but it, it's interesting though, it's because I don't necessarily, the things that I'm really allergic to, I don't necessarily crave anymore though. Now that it has been, is more integrated into my mind and understanding of like why and what the, what would happen to me if I ate those things, then my brain no longer says, Ooh, I want that. Sometimes it's hard to be around other people eating it, but at the same time, I'm not, I don't want it. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I would like what other people feel when they eat it, but that doesn't, that's just not what the natural consequence for me is. So, yeah. But there's something about like you trained yourself and that training was arduous. Oh, totally. (laughs) It sucks. But, but it, you know, that's just something that we have to do with everything. That's that's Some of the ideas of like the, the positive psychology books, they talk about like the habits of like the top performers and similar to your like experience of diet. A lot of times your top performers, um, they have a lot of things like that where they've trained themselves. There's a classic, there was like a CEO once wherever, I think it was a, she, wherever she traveled, she required that her um, chauffeur, the person who's driving around, while she was in meetings, they had to go visit like all the museums and like everything about the town and learn a lot about the town. So when they were driving, like she could distract herself by learning about the town and like asking the chauffeur like questions about the art and the culture, like like what's what's around town or what's mm. um, it's like interesting. That is interesting. Like, That's kind of a cool jump. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of, but always like always stimulated, always. Right. Like I need to know more about this, but but also like not what I was just focusing on. You know, at actual yeah. work, you know, you're learning something else, because it's because when you're learning something new that's interesting, you are, are engaged more. I think, and versus like the same thing that you just talked about for over five hours, and you know, at work or whatever. Then you come home and you're like, I just want a break. But you don't really take a break. You entertain yourself with something different. You know what yeah. I mean? Like you're still looking for in- input. That's what I've almost learned is like when you have that thing, like I just need to take a break. Like today I was like, I need to take a nap. It's like, okay, I know this. Don't take a nap. Like go do a holy hour. And yeah, like a good percentage of the time I fall asleep during the holy hour, but I fall asleep for like 10 minutes. So hmm. it's not like the whole holy hour. Yeah. It's a holy nap. Hmm. Yeah, and it's like it's actually more restful. It's like, but yeah. Cool. Um, we we don't have any comments yet today. So if anybody wants to hang out with us, we're we're yeah. rabbit holing. Are you ready for re- well, this second? Going back, re- going back into last things. Um, and I want to tie everything back to last things. Is the sense of priorities? Like, what are the priorities that Scripture gives? What is the priorities that we give? And, and the hierarchy in my mind is pretty clear. It's worship is at the top. Family is next. Then physical comforts and things like that. Like, you know, like worship relationships. And then and I think a lot of times, but so when we think of final judgment, we all oftentimes like kind of reverse that. We tend to think that like the more base instincts, the, the sins, the more base instincts are the ones that are going to be judged, judged the hard, harshest, but it's actually more the ones related to worship, I would say, which I'm trying to think of how to, I, I think I'm going to get into the 10 commandments. Yeah. Now. I was just going to say it's the basic top three, lower seven, 10 commandments. Yeah, yeah. Um, which when you read the 10 commandments, like they really flesh out those three. Like, it's right. like, it's clear. Oh, this is really important. Oh, and by the way, don't kill people. Like, I mean, that's kind of like murder is like, it's like three, like a paragraph each for the first three. And then it's like, don't kill, don't sleep around, don't lie, don't steal. And then then actually spends a little bit more time with covet thy neighbor, like coveting mm-hmm. your neighbor's stuff. Mm-hmm. So those, yeah. those are like, so it's the interior and those things that are related to worship. Right. And a lot of times one will lead to the other, like the lack of, Worship, right worship will lead to the other seven sins. Oh yeah, I mean that's or the, the degra- degradation of all the other ones to the to the 
than lack of, you know what I mean? Like depending on how you look at culture, I guess. Yeah. But publicly, I guess it would be looking like it was uh, degrading. Degra oh my gosh, I can't say the word. Really taking down the other sins, and then then the the, the worship one would come down. But interiorly, the worship one goes goes usually yeah. goes first, and then the other ones. Here and and here's the here's the interesting dynamic. Like, so for the most part. I don't think it's just people telling me what I want to hear, but I, I, I encounter a lot of people like who buy into religion, like me as a preacher, right? Like my homilies and, but like can't quite motivate them to pray <laughs> and, and offer more worship. And it's interesting with the, the focus missionaries here at EC Newman, like to get somebody to the threshold where they're praying, it requires so much investing in somebody. It's like, it's only, it's, it's, it, it seems overwhelming sometimes. You're like, man, for like just one student to start praying a holy hour or praying mental prayer meditation, it often takes the missionary like spending a few hours with them or, and, and following up with them and like. No, it takes a lot. It's, I mean, it took a lot for me to get over the discomfort of it. Yeah. So it's really, I really feel like it's like, okay. It re I think it really depends on like how the person views like what prayer is and like what getting getting over the discomfort of sitting down and doing it is, um, and and how how to really re relay that to them. Yeah. And it does take time. It takes time and a lot of time and yeah. understanding. Yeah. So. One thing the missionaries do, um, it's a good strategy is they invite people to do a holy hour with them or to do like mental prayer meditation. Like, Hey, why don't we go to the chapel right now? Or mm -hmm. why don't we, like, why don't you come with me to the church after we do this yeah. cup of coffee or whatever? But I do, I do adoration once a month now, once a week now, because you were like, because like last year, last summer, like when we first started, you're like, you should do that. You should go to adoration once a week. And I was like, yeah. you know what? I should do that. But it takes, <laughs> it does take that encouragement. You know what I mean? From friends to say, you know what, this is important. You should do this. This will help yeah. you with your life, your spiritual life, especially if you're in school and you know, you need that help and that resource of grace and time with God. Mm -hmm. So, so it really, it does take friendship and it does take saying those things to be like, Hey, this is a good idea. You should do this. So, yeah. It's, it's really, it's really fascinating. I mean, like the more I, I mean, it's really coming to light. Like I just, even today I was having a lunch with some folks who are just, they admitted that like, I love what you say. I love your videos and I'm struggling to find time to pray. And it's like, Oh, mm -hmm. um, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. A lot of it is training yourself. Yeah. And scheduling the time and say, this is when I'm going to do this because it's, most of the time it doesn't happen organically. I still have to schedule myself and I still have to say, this is when I'm going to do this. And when I don't feel like it, I say too bad. <laughs> no. This is when you're going to do this. This is what you told yourself. This and is what you this do. Is where, and this is where I'm getting outside of the box. Like I have a little more flexibility with Newman than the parish is I almost want to like, like put the college students on the spot and be like, Right now, I want you to write your name on a piece of paper and you're committing to do a holy hour like sometime in the next week, like a specific time. And like, we're going to follow up with you. Like, we're going to like, we're going to call you. <laughs> well, and signing up, the signing up for adoration times makes it a like you're a little bit more accountable. Especially yeah. if you have to find somebody to fill your spot. Yeah. Cause there's a lot of, you know, I have a lot of friends who are like, Oh no, I can't make it to my adoration time. Can somebody take it for, you know, then, then you have to be responsible and like ask and be like, can somebody take my adoration time for me? Because yeah. it's important that it's covered for a perpetual adoration. Yeah, exactly. That motivation. Maybe that's what I should do with Newman is like set up a, maybe like have like, like the 40 hours devotion. Maybe try to do that. And, and like, get everybody to sign up or have like one, one, even one day a month where you just have exposition for a certain amount of time and you just have people sign up. 
That was yeah. we did that in we did that in Italy. We did that overseas, and it worked. It was fairly popular when when it ha- the priest was willing to do that. Oh, okay. It was. I mean, we had like fifty people, at least for eight hours, at you know yeah. at least fifty people. Maybe and, there is something to that adoration thing, like that is like that. Like you sign up, and if you're not there, and like we'll remind you, and like we'll mention it to you. Hey, we miss you. You know, good Catholic guilt. <laughs> Just like, but but I feel like when people sign their name to something, they're more responsible for that versus well, I like just saying a short period because the written. perpetual adoration chapel like it's really daunting to say for the next like for the rest of my life i'm going to do i mean i mean i rest of your life but it's kind of like for the next five years i'm gonna be doing like one slot a week that might be a harder commitment but maybe what we should do is do a 48 hours that's in the parish do a 48 hours and the newman maybe do like a or maybe do you know, the the four the 40 hours devotion mm-hmm. and Both. like both the parishes close to me have perpetual adoration. So yeah. it's really nice. But yeah. The problem we have sometimes is we don't have a lot of people. So we have a perpetual adoration chapel. But we don't have a lot of people. Mm-hmm. But I think if we did, if we did a 40 hours devotion and like had a mass push and like, I'm even thinking like have it where everybody's sitting in the pews and say, I want you right now to commit to an hour sometime in this time period, you mm-hmm. know, Friday through Sunday. Especially if they have a special intention and then you can, then you can be like, all right, so if you have a special intention, here's a novena that you can do. And on the last day that you will be doing your adoration time, it will be the end of your novena. You know what I mean? Like just like different types of prayers that you can offer them in relation. So this is totally not like on topic, but I'm, I'm totally enjoying this conversation. (laughs) Yeah, it's totally fun. Well, what is, is we were talking about last things. Mm -hmm. So it's like, so the, the, the question is like, because the assumption that most people have, um, so we're talking about Maccabees, we're talking about how they have their priorities straight. Most people assume, like right now, most priests and religious or people who are preaching or work for the church, they assume that people don't care about their spiritual life, which is patently not the case in my parish. Like even the people who don't even go to mass weekly would rank their faith as being very important to them. So it's like, it's a more matter of like motivating behaviors than like trying to convince them to put and guilting them into like believing that they don't put their religion first. Yeah. And also teaching them how to go about doing it. And like having that adoration time will be teaching them how to go about doing that. Right. Cause even the disciples said, Jesus teach us how to pray. You know what I mean? They still had to ask. You know, like, we still don't get it. We still need help. Hold my hand, walk me through it. This is what I need. And because they wanted to know, you know, so the people in the pews, they they want to know, you know. Motivating people to pray. Like, like, if you can motivate people to pray, it's game-changing. I think that's that's the thing. That's a reoccurring, like, inspiration I have over and over again. Right. Like, if you can motivate people to pray. And you might not be confronted like these seven brothers were, right? But at least you might have an interior, interior stronghold to really draw from in that Absolutely. way. Let's get into the second reading. I know. We're, we're running late today. Holy right. cow. <laughs> I know. I'm we like, oh. just, let's just spend, let's just, we should just go to the gospel. We're not going to get to the gospel sure. if we don't jump to it. Okay. Yeah. Then the gospel of Luke. Some Sadducees, those who deny that there's a resurrection, came forward and put this question to Jesus, saying, Teacher, Moses wrote for us, If someone's brother dies leaving a wife but no child, his brother must take the wife and raise up descendants for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first married a woman but died childless. Then the second and the third married her. And likewise, all seven died childless. Finally, the woman also died. Now at the resurrection, whose wife will that woman be? For all seven had been married to her. Jesus said to them, The children of this age marry and remarry. But those who are deemed worthy to attain to the coming age and to the resurrection of the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. 
they can no longer die, for they are like angels, and they are the children of God, because they are the ones who will rise, that the dead will rise, and even Moses made known in the passage about the bush, when he called out, Lord, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, and he is not God of the dead, but of the living, for to him all are alive. Okay, so this is a really good one. One thing that I really like, um, to the point about one of these things that I really like is about how the point of marriage is to get us to heaven. After mm -hmm. heaven, that relationship is no longer necessary. Mm -hmm that we will all be children of God, we will all be connected in the body of Christ in that way, but at that particular relationship, the point of that relationship, one of the points is is to get each other to heaven. So, Wait, so are you saying Eric Clapton's, Eric Clapton's Tears in Heaven is like wrong? I don't know. You don't know that song? I'm the worst. <laughs> would, you, would you call my name? <laughs> it's about like, you know, heaven wouldn't be the same without you kind of thing. Yeah. Which is totally bad theology, but. <laughs> so what you're saying, it's bad. You are, you just oh, yeah, answered your question. Bad theology. I mean, it's a catchy tune, but it's terrible. <laughs> I've been listening to a lot of Eric Clapton lately. That's fine. Um, I go, I go on like kicks with, with different musicians out. Well, it's it's so funny when it comes like the resurrection and like heaven, you know, it's um, you get a lot of sentimentalism, you know, like the Eric Clapton, like you know, uh, like heaven wouldn't be the same without you. Like I would give up. Oh, oh uh, City of Angels, one. I'd give up to heaven to touch you, kind of thing. Oh yeah. Oh uh, no. Like <laughs> this is bad theology. Yeah. This is bad bad theology. Like. Like it that's, sounds that's, it sounds nice, but it, it's not. Yeah. Like something like a frack I would say to his girl. I, I shouldn't frack yeah. guys are some of them are nice guys. But like but yeah, I'm actually more like a poet would say to his girlfriend, like a, 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 a English major. Something like an English major would come up with. Yeah. Versus a philosophy major. Right. Philosophy like major. That's you know technically you're wrong. not true. <laughs> it's not a good idea. But so and that's why English majors get all the girls. Right. But this ties into the last things because yeah. it, it gets is into the resurrection of the body. Yeah. That, that's right. It gets into the resurrection of the body. And in the fact that those who have died before us are in, in God's mercy are still alive in Christ. Because God is the God of the living. So yeah. Isaac, Jacob, Abraham, they're all alive in Christ. You know, just not in this time. So yeah. I, I, it really goes back also to um, the community of saints and, and why praying, asking that for their prayers is so powerful because they are perfected and with Christ and able to take our prayers to Jesus. So, yeah. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm now having a better way of like thinking about this, like how to formulate some stuff. So are you familiar with the, the idea of the analogy of being? Analogy of being? So it's a, it's a concept with St. Thomas Aquinas with um, Thomistic, what's called Thomistic metaphysics, which is things are predicated of, so we can look at how things are predicated. When we say predicated, God is good. God is the subject. Good is the predicate. So we're saying God is good. We say humans are good. We say food is good. Um, animals are good. And so the reality is, though, those things are different. Like, the way they're good is different. And, in fact, God's goodness is dramatically different than everything else that's good. And everything that's good in this world participates in his goodness. And these are some of the basic concepts of metaphysics. But like going back to that notion, I've talked about it before, that ladder. So like there's the physical, there's the intellectual, and then there's the more spiritual. And really that's where that analogy of being goes into. So where a lot of people get themselves into trouble is their spirituality is of the flesh. Like they think in the terms of this world. So what is heaven? Heaven is just like, it's, it's like the country songs, you know. Heaven is like fried chicken on a... <laughs> Um, little pe little bit of 
chicken fry, cold beer on a Friday night. Yeah, okay. Pair of jeans that fits just right. You know, like it's like that's what heaven is. Like heaven, you know, is there com- whatever their com- comfort is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's like that whole country live in. Like we have the best way of life, which is which is relatively true. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Um, but um, but like heaven is like not fried chicken, right? Like, right. That's like a very carnal, animalistic kind of way. Like heaven is not your base instincts. On the same hand, then, I mean, you have a people with a little bit of sophistication and like heaven is like your friendships or it's like your, um, your, your, your intellectual pursuits or your, 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 your things of this world. It's like, well, no, it's even beyond that. It's a spiritual reality that, that is beyond your ability to comprehend. That's right. Of go- of goodness, of of happiness, of being fulfilled and satisfied, and and also at the same time in perfect worship. Yeah, perfect so, worship. Perfect worship. Yeah, you said perfect, right? Yes. Oh, okay. For a second, I thought you said imperfect. I was like, no, in perfect worship. Uh, we in, we will in. be in perfect worship. There you go, there you <laughs> Not go. imperfect. Nah. Now we. By the way, it's everything. actually almost impossible to tell the difference when you're saying that. <laughs> <laughs> Just. Well, thank you for that's clarifying. Like, that's like when I say like something is very natural. I say it's supernatural. And then I'm like, no, that makes no sense. <laughs> natural, but it's very natural. All right. But, that's, but that actually the word natural, that supernatural gets at the heart of this idea. Like super above natural. Mm-hmm. Trans- transcended. Natural. Transcended. Taking the natural, but transcending it into a more yeah. like a hyper- spiritualized state yeah, exactly and this is basically when we get the idea of what's called metaphysics and this is like the hardest part a lot of people have a hard time understanding metaphysics because their their worldview is more of the flesh you know how can i be happy like without food you know but it goes back to what we were talking about last week about thinking about thinking meta is very difficult exactly. it's very difficult to think about thinking it's very difficult to go into those spaces where you think about how you think about the carnal and you think about <laughs> how you think about this, the intellectual. And then you think about how you think about the spiritual <laughs> and it really gets, it takes time and it's yeah. almost like sometimes you want to pull your hair out. Um, not me. No, uh, not well in the beginning, because I took a, a class on critical thinking um, and philosophy before I started my, my master's and it was a meta class that like that's what it was called. It was like meta was the main part. They were going about thinking about thinking about thinking, and that part of the class, I was just like, oh my gosh, my brain hurts <laughs> so bad. <laughs> I mean, it was good to practice and good to know about, but at the same time, yeah, I didn't feel like I needed it for my faith at that time. Yeah, because I'm like, I don't need to know where a thought comes from to know that I can think. And that's kind of, it wasn't a spiritual bait. It, that wasn't a spirituality, spirituality based meta. It was just a think like it, it was just theory in general. So it was really getting to the basics of like, what part of a brain does, does your thoughts, you know what I mean? I don't care. I know that I have a brain and it works cause I'm thinking. And that's really like, I feel like all I need to function <laughs> yeah. personal, personally, I understand like, it's important for science and all of that, but, and people who are smarter than me who can think this out. But for me, I'm like, I didn't care at that point that deep into like, to thinking about thinking, but I'm glad that I was introduced to the process. Yeah. Well, you you mentioned like maybe it's helpful. Actually, sometimes it can be a real hindrance. This is the classic thing that like those, the difference between teaching and doing, right? So there are a lot of people who can teach things, but they can't do them. Um, doing something is a little bit different because what I've often found and when I put on my, my leadership role, I've actually found the things that make for a good scholar and a good talk and a good analysis are not the same things that make for good leadership. I actually find the like talking less is really good thing as a leader, like analyzing less, like if you can actually simplify your analysis and keep it pretty simple and straightforward, it's actually better, even though it's probably not as accurate. 
that, 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 I had that insight recently because I was like, I was talking with somebody trying to not give away who the person was conversation. I was in a situation where I was dealing with somebody who's professional and my perception was that they were overanalyzing things mm. that they just, it can be really dangerous. It can be yeah. really dangerous and it could, okay. So could it lead to desolation or could it be a, it's something that happens because of desolation, the overanalyzing. Yeah, or perhaps. yeah, or perhaps. And just like a certain, like that, that whole rabbit hole thing that we've discussed a lot where it's like, you just keep spinning and spinning and you get, you admire it more and you're like fascinated by it. And, and, and you like, feed it, like you feed off of this, like thinking about it and looking, looking at it. Oh, what if this is it? Oh, and turning it and Oh, what if this is it? And yeah. how that could be highly dangerous for spiritual and mental stability well and just the leadership component because there's also this this dynamic with leadership right with people which is like i always have to keep this in mind because i've done it right so you could have somebody let's say um let's say i did an event i've done a lot of events recently and like somebody was being really critical of like something i did and they're behind the scenes being really critical and you you heard a little bit of murmuring and let's say you go up to them and you show them a little love and an attention. Not always is this going to happen, but like suddenly all of that negativity just disappears. And like the person is totally on board just because you showed them a little love and attention versus like trying to analyze all of their thinking and all of their problems. Mm-hmm. Like if you try something simple, like giving them a little bit of your time or like showing them a little attention, like you don't have to actually address all of the spinning. Gotcha. That makes That's a lot of sense. More with leadership. Yeah. You know? And I also think it's not just with leadership. I think it's important also in group dynamics, even if you're not the leader, that sometimes the, that stuff is happening because lack of attention or lack of leadership, lack of um, relationship connections. You know, sometimes yeah. people do that because they're looking for something that they're not getting. And yeah, that is a response to the thing they're not getting. So what you're saying is that you're noticing that you're seeing the deeper problem, like a deeper root issue that yeah. is, res- is resolving them doing what they're doing. And generally the good leaders tend to view things simpler. They tend to be simpler in their thinking. Mm-hmm. Oh. And whenever I've, I've come to, to just think about things like that, it's whenever I feel like people are in need of, attention like you know you know you people think oh that person's just doing that for attention then mm-hmm. i just i like to think to replace the word attention with relationships that person is really searching for a relationship right now and mm-hmm. not doing it in a very good way so Where's maybe that, that mm-hmm. yeah, yeah so maybe maybe that that's what we need to do is help with find whatever relationship that this person needs so they're not acting out in a way that is destructive so yeah yeah that's a possibility but i think also like if you're over analyzing stuff you don't even realize maybe that you are in need of that relationship you know what i mean like you're probably not in even in a place to know what to ask for well and i i found this i found this a lot yeah exactly and i've just found this is that there are situations i've been in that i still would say that I don't fully grasp everything about it. Like I don't, I would not pretend to say that I've mastered everything that happened in the situation. Like I fully comprehend it. Um, and, and I've spun my wheels about some of these situations, like trying to, trying to understand and play different roles. Um, yeah. But going back to, we were talking about the, um, the whole, the, the whole metacognitive, and, and, yeah, it's related to the the resurrection. Is the resurrection byline? The resurrection is hard to understand. Oh. We will understand it when it happens. Well, I mean, cutting out the like outside of like the uh, spinning our wheels about the resurrection. Like, why is it important to understand the resurrection? And there's something about so like there's an unhealthy metacognition. There's an unhealthy meta analysis. And like an overthinking of things, but there's a healthy climbing that ladder towards contemplation. Cause ultimately the deeper metaphysical is the stuff of contemplation. 
It's the connection with the invisible. And we all need a little bit of that. Right. So it's not, not, not analyzing things, just analyzing things in a healthy way. Sometimes what needs to be done with others in conversation. Yeah, actually, I, 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 yeah, it's clicking in my head, actually. This could be a much longer conversation, like true contemplation versus false contemplation. And what is false contemplation is the postmodern philosophers and the modern philosophers. Because if you read them, it's all about this, like, overanalyzing. I mean, Heidegger, it's like, he makes all these crazy distinctions. Like, it's not exactly clear what he means. Like, it's a rabbit hole. It's like mm-hmm. thinking about thinking about thinking. I'm going to create my own vocabulary for that thinking about thinking. Yeah. And, and you can get lost in, yeah. in this hole. And, and I think that's also like where we go into when we are hyper-focused on certain things, like we can get lost in those things. That's why we need to hold fast to the faith. We need to hold fast to these different things about our faith, like the resurrection of the body, like, you know, salvation, heaven, hell, judgment. Um, so that we can stay grounded where we need to stay grounded and not really fall into the hole that we need to like, we kind of need to look in a little bit, but we don't need to completely lose ourselves, th- thus lose salvation or, or really go into a dark place where we are not mentally okay. Yeah. That's, a, that's, a, that's a fun new idea right there. True contemplation versus false contemplation. Mm-hmm. Um, and, both and are metaphysical in nature. Mm-hmm. What's up? And how do you go about even assessing that? Yeah. Well, I mean, true contemplation would open you to relationships that lead to resting and lead to kind of enlightenment. Mm-hmm. False contemplation would make you a lot of distinctions, spinning your wheels, not cutting you off from relationships. Mm. Like Nietzsche. So Nietzsche. good fruit versus bad fruit. Yeah. There you go. Uh-huh. But we are... Uh, time. Yeah. So, yeah, and we time. don't have any we have, comments. We don't so. have any comments and intentions. No. People don't like us this week. It's today. It's all right. That's right. It's it's because the weather's cold. Is like, it? Yeah, People are like know. last things, man. <laughs> it's like all the song, uh, Have you the um, hazy shade of winter? I love that song by Simon Gar. You are so uncultured. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. I just think your life difficult. That's all. <laughs> yeah, you don't know. You don't know Simon and Garfunkel. You don't know Eric Clapton. I know some Simon and Garfunkel. I just don't know that one. Okay. But um, you ready to pray? You can pray for my for my cultural like non ruining culturalization. <laughs> <laughs> don't ruin me. <laughs> all right, and the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, Amen. Oh, Heavenly Father, we pray in a special way for Alana for her family. We pray for our students at ECU Newman, for our focused missionaries. Pray for our vagabond missionaries and uh, for people at St. Peter's here in Greenville, for Alana's parish and for her friends. We ask you to bless all who will watch or listen to this podcast. We ask you to bless them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you, Father. Thanks, Thanks, everyone. Have a great week. So take me to the fountain It's welling up, it's welling up in me, me. Nothing in the, nothing in the world satisfies like you. Oh, nothing on the, nothing on the earth will ever be so true. I'm Father Dwight Longenecker. I hope you've enjoyed listening to some of my podcasts here at Breadbox Media, but today I'm speaking to you about a different opportunity. In September 2020, I'll be leading a fantastic pilgrimage cruise from Rome to the Holy Land, and then on the way back, stopping at the cities of St. Paul, Ephesus, Athens, Corinth, and more. While we're at sea, I'll be lecturing on the Gospels, history, or mystery. When we're on land, I'll invite you to join me as we visit all of the holy sites, celebrating Mass, worshiping together, and having a wonderful time of fellowship. If you'd like to know more about this pilgrimage cruise, go to my website, dwightlongenecker.com. Go to the right sidebar, and you'll see a picture there which invites you to get more information. Go to my website, 
DwightLongenecker.com. Right sidebar, click on the picture of the cruise ship, and you'll get all the information you need. Alternatively, you can call the company that's organizing the tour at 800-247-0017. 800-247-0017. Ask for Farmalong and Ecker's Cruise to the Holy Land. Thanks for listening. Jack Kane Ford. Find your next Ford Tough vehicle at KaneFord.com.